I want to look at Psalm 55, and it is one that we haven't looked at, at least recently. Um, I did preach on it back in the 70s, but that's before some of you were born. And um, so recently we haven't looked at it, but it is still part of those group of Psalms that we keep looking at, which uh, describe what David went through at the rebellion of his son Absalom. And this psalm belongs to that period, but it is maybe one of the the worst. Um, it is a, a psalm that's full of rage, um, and it's full of pain, hurt, and, and it's a it's a cry of agony. And interestingly, it's not about Absalom. Uh, David seemed to handle Absalom's rebellion. But this one is by um, someone totally unexpected, one of David's closest friends. And really, we don't have a word in English to describe what a friend meant in those days. I can only say it meant covenant. It meant I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you. It meant I'll be faithful to you even unto death. It was uh, when I was in Korea, and I had a friend with me. He was going around the world preaching with me. And uh, so I'm speaking, and I referred to my friend sitting behind me, and I said, I had my friend with me. And the reaction of the people took me totally by surprise. They looked at him with such honor. They almost, you know, stood, and it's a friend because they still hold that idea that a friend is not someone you meet on Facebook, dear Lord. Uh, a friend is someone that you will literally die for if necessary. It is a person who always has your back. It's a person that you send, I will never leave you, never forsake you. And David had two friends. Out of all the courtiers, these uh, persons were beyond anything to do with the government. They were nothing to do with politics. They were friends, which meant that without invitation, they could walk into David's private apartment and, and be welcomed um, friends. And one of them was called Ahithophel. You don't have to remember that. But Ahithophel was his closest, his dearest friend. And at the rebellion of Absalom, it suddenly became apparent that I had thoughtful for the last number of months, maybe even years, had really been a spy of Absalom. And now Absalom proclaims himself king, and Ahithophel disappears, and he goes over to the camp of Absalom. And when David hears that his friend has betrayed him and gone over to Absalom, he literally falls apart. And he writes Psalm 55. Um, I don't want to spend time reading it. Um, it's a long psalm, and I'm going to be, every time I read a verse, I'm going to stop and talk about it. So I want to get on with what I want to say. But in verse 12 of Psalm 55, he, he's crying out, you can imagine this is not merely something he wrote in his journal this man is screaming at the ceiling and he is saying it is not an enemy who reproaches me then i could bear it nor it is one who hates me who has exalted himself against me then i could hide myself from him but it's you a man my equal my companion my familiar friend we who had sweet fellowship together walked in the house of God in the throng. Then he goes on and says in verse 20, He has put forth his hand against those who were at peace with him. He's violated his covenant. His speech was smoother than butter, but his heart was war. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. That's where David's at. That's why he wrote the psalm. 
And it might be interesting to some of you, um, he was 65 when he wrote that. Um, just ready for his social security. Um, and I don't know, um, this is one of the worst things that ever happened in David's life. And it happened somewhere between 60 and 65. And now this, and in verse 22, the mood of the psalm is, okay, in all my years, I've learned a few lessons. What am I going to do with this? What am I going to do with this man who has torn my heart in pieces? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. And that's the verse I want to look at. Uh, it's necessary that we at least get the background to what he's saying. Burdens, cast your burden on the Lord. And he's speaking of a burden of deep hurt and the anger that goes with it, which I say again was a different kind of anger than that which he showed to Absalom. When Absalom, you remember, was finally killed in battle, David wailed, and there's no other word for it. He, he cried out, Absalom, Absalom, oh, my son Absalom. He said, I would have died for you. That, that is a different cry than the one that's in this song. When his friend betrays him, uh, this, 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 is, this is the hurt of betrayal. And I'm pretty certain every one of us have at least been touched by this. It's, it's the hurt of an ugly divorce. It's the hurt of a business partner with a knife in your back. It, it is when your best friend turns out to be your worst enemy. You know, it's, well, it's, that's the burden he's facing at 65 years old. And he says, cast that burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He'll never allow the righteous to be shaken. Now, it's fascinating to me, in a kind of way, that 1,000 plus years later, okay, Peter picks up the book of Psalms and he quotes this verse from Psalm 55. And he's speaking about humility. Verse 6 of 1 Peter 5, he says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. And the fascinating thing is that Peter was 65 when he wrote that. Um, as, as if we've got the Old and New Testament saying, listen to two old men and realize they know what they're talking about. Peter is using it in a much more general fashion. He's speaking of all the anxieties. David is very specific with a burden that crushes you. But Peter says it applies to every anxiety in life. And so the one says, cast your burden on the Lord. The other says, cast all your cares upon the Lord. Put those two texts together with David's input and Peter's input, and you begin to get an idea of what it means that we can cast our cares upon the Lord and be sustained by him who cares for us. Now, the one he uses here, now my translation here, the New American Standard, translates it um, correctly. He says, cast all your care, but no, he says, cast your anxiety. There are two words here, and when we translated anxiety, that, that's correct, but we miss the play on the words, because Peter said, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you and it sounds in a quick reading cast all your cares because he's full of care for you and in the greek language it it makes a 
it's different, but and, and the New American Standard has picked up the difference, but they've still missed these, the the way in which the words almost sound alike. And, and this, the one care is the same as the other care, but it's not. There's a difference, and, and so there's a play on this. This word anxiety here, this care, it's a very specific word, and it describes anxiety, it describes stress, and the Greek word is merimna, and and merimna means to be out of control. Now, we heard that three weeks ago. Uh, Anxiety is being out of control. Anything you can't control we have an anxiety, a panic attack. Um, but this word goes on to say that it, it is when you are drawn in two opposite directions. That that one part of you says, I can handle this, and the other part of says, don't be stupid, you can't handle it. <laughs> you're, you're being ripped in pieces. And, and that's going on inside of you. That's the very smell of anxiety. It, it means to be divided into parts. You are literally being carved up because every part of you is at war with the other part. In our plain English today, who we don't even know about this word, but we have our words in English, we say, I'm going to pieces. That's exactly right. You're falling apart, we say. We use the term, I'm falling apart. This, This is anxiety. It's reacting to life when I feel I'm out of control. The word describes being absorbed with myself. (coughs) I I fill the screen of my imagination, and all I can think of is what I'm thinking about this right now. It's my perception of the situation. And it always focuses on the very worst that could happen which is the way in which I'm ripped to pieces. And there's always in there, because it is so self-centered, that I'm always finding people to blame for the situation I find myself in, which only then adds to the situation. Um, So now I've introduced a third party that I can blame, and so it goes on. Um, Anxiety. Uh, I tell you, this is the word that is used in, is it Luke chapter 10, I believe, where Jesus with Martha and Mary, and you remember Mary sits and she's part of the Bible study group, while Martha is in the kitchen throwing pots around and red in the face and flour all over the place as she is raging that she's got to prepare the meal and Mary isn't there. And in the end, she bursts in on Jesus' meeting and interrupts him and says, for goodness sake, get that woman back in the kitchen. And um, Jesus refuses. He takes his side with Mary. And he, but he's so gentle, he says, Martha, Martha. And in our versions or something like it, it says, um, you are concerned about so many things, but Mary's chosen the better part. Um, well, that word concerned about many things is this word, merimna. And, and it means, uh, Martha, Martha, you're sitting back there in the kitchen and you're divided and you're blaming Mary and you're screaming at the pots and pans as your whole life is falling apart. You're going to pieces. That's the word that is used here. Um, note also in the Peter text, he links it with humility, and I find that fascinating, that, that he says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and, and he will exalt you. Uh, and he goes straight on, especially in the Greek, it's one long sentence, that you humble yourself and casting your care upon him, as if casting your care upon him is everything to do with humble yourself. The two are actually one. And that goes back to what we've discussed before. I don't want to repeat what I said three weeks ago, but um, the heart of anxiety, and please hear me, I can't say to an anxious person, they're there. That this isn't a time for gentle counseling and saying, well, we understand. No, we don't understand. I don't understand myself when I get anxious. There, There is no they're there. 
Now this is in your, look, where did this guy come straight out of the pit of Eden? You shall be as gods, which is the ultimate action of pride, that I lift myself up to say I will be equal to God. And along with that goes the belief that I've got to control everything in life, which is utterly stupid, utterly stupid. You can't even control the movement of the sun or moon. So let's quit there. That's the end of that. Um, you can't even control the ins and outs of the tides. Uh, and I'm certain you can't control the spin of the earth through space. And in this very tenuous situation, as we cling to the surface of the earth and spin through space, we've got no control over it whatsoever. And yet we sit here like stupid idiots saying, I'm in control. Um, no, that, that's the Garden of Eden. It's so stupid. It is the Garden of Eden. I'm responsible. I'm responsible for everything that happens. Everything. Everybody. And of course we can take this to idiotic extremes. That uh, I might feel I'm responsible for everything that's going on in your life. Which I'm not. I'm not responsible. I'm not in control of anything that happens in your life. Let alone my life. No, that's the whole point. Humility is not that religious nonsense that just cows down and says, I'm no good, I'm worthless, I don't deserve anything. That's not humility, that's a reverse pride. No, humility is very simple, it's knowing who you are. And once I know who I am, I'm comfortable with who I am. That's the end of it. Um, I know my identity in Christ, and in Christ, in the Father, and in the Spirit. And so I'm suddenly free. I'm not in control. That's fantastic. I, I'm, I can get up in the morning without the sense that everything that happens in the world or in Washington is on my shoulders. It, it's, I'm free. But also, and this is very much to the point, I'm free from other people's control. Humility means I am totally free from your opinion of me. See, pride has got to make sure that I look good. And I've got to make sure that you think good about me, or at least think. I've got to think that you think good about me uh, as part of pride. So I'm always aware how are you, what does she mean by that look? You know, I'm, I am, I'm in this prison house of what other people think. But humility means I'm free from that. I'm free from your opinion of me. Huh. I was raised with a few phrases that have never left my head. And one of them is, what would they say? I don't give a fig what they would say. But my family lived by that. What would they say? I'll leave that or I'll start telling you about it. Um, I am free from gaining importance based on my achievements. So I achieve for the sheer joy of doing what I'm doing. And if you don't think it's important, I don't care. You see, you see, it's, it's marvelous. Um, I don't need to be noticed. You know, they didn't announce your name at the men's breakfast. I'm destroyed. They didn't notice me. And everybody knows I was the most important person there. But, do you know, I mean, we're laughing at this, but this is what cripples people's lives. The need to be noticed. I can't do something for free. I have to be paid by compliments. You know I can't just enjoy doing life. I, I'm, I'm just waiting for you to say, you did a fantastic job. Ah, yes. Now, now I'm okay. But this freedom, humility, what I'm saying here, humility delivers you from anxiety of its own kind. But now he brings this humility into all of our cares. Because anxiety of every kind is linked to this idea of control. And I know I said it before, 
and I deliberately left it three weeks because I gave you that for homework, that you, you could get used to this idea that every time I'm anxious, what is it I'm trying to control and can't? I, I trust you've you've worked it out now for three weeks. But um, anxiety is all about believing I'm in control and suddenly now being confronted with the reality, with the situation, which tells me plainly you're not in control. And at that point, waves of nothing short of terror, an inner, and I mean this, it's a terror. It's a lot more than what we say, you know, I'm afraid. It's this inner gut-level panic terror. It's an emotional chaos that shows on your face even before you've said a word. It's a sense of utter confusion. It's a mental anguish and panic. I feel I feel as naked as Adam and Eve, which would explain their panic attack when they reached for every leaf to try and cover themselves. I'd say anybody doing that is having a panic attack. But that they said because we were naked this this feeling of i've suddenly lost control and i don't want you to see me losing control so that only adds to the fear and i've got to hide anxiety is living with a mask on i can't let my neighbors see how my life really is i'll be exposed as a fraud to them and so i'm now meeting myself in this situation, myself as the one who's living this lie that I'm in control, and this situation has confronted me to say, you're not in control. Anything but, you're very much out of control. And so the cry arises within us that describes this word care. It, it, it is that I'm alone. Um, how could I put it? It's the cry, I am not it's it's the cry i have not you see i i am not wisdom i am not strength i'm not ability i cannot i am not these are all the ingredients of this word care and usually at that point even if we think about it we feel separated from god which is all part of the lie and that's why this is all going on but we feel it and we believe that these circumstances that have exposed us will now go on to kill us, be destroyed. And so anxiety, the English word means to tear apart. But it's got the added idea of paralysis, freeze. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. Interesting, the other word, worry, which is from a European language, and that means hands around your neck to strangle you and choke you to death. That's the meaning of the word worry. All this has taken me quite a time to say it, but in actual fact, in experience, it moves through us at the speed of light. And I mean that exactly scientifically, at the speed of light. That, that suddenly my, my thoughts are completely baptized in this. And my imagination draws vivid pictures of the disaster. My emotions give out a, an energy of death so that every cell of my body is at the speed of light caught up in this. And that moves on to everything we touch. I can't be a good businessman at that point. I'm making mistakes all over the place because I'm in this paralytic state. And that, have you noticed, it's on an endless revolving loop. You, you, you thought this three minutes ago, and here we are back here, around and around and around and around. The past cries out, if only, if only I hadn't done that. What if I had done, I should have done, and if they hadn't have said, and if God, if there is a God, he would never have allowed this. The present stress, pressure, because there's no resolution to the weight of this burden. I, I don't, that's the word David uses, burden. 
And and it, it literally means that. And I, I can relate to it that you actually feel a weight on, on an invisible inner self. It's a weight. Uh, Proverbs 12.25 says that anxiety is in the heart causes depression. And it does. It's that, that weight down, darkness down. And of course the future... It's just wrapped up in ruin. I'm done. I'm finished. Um, now, of course, if you if you're any kind of religious, you you add to that religious guilt because now I'm guilty for being anxious, and, and I <laughs> shame. Have you, have you ever understood this? That your body, and I include in that mind and emotions are not created for anxiety. It's fascinating to me that my body is not created. And I, what can I say? I'm not wired. It has no part, any more than your car is not made to ride on water. Okay? You put water in there, of course you, because the car isn't made for that. Well, you in all your physical, mental, emotional expression, you are not made for anxiety. You're not wired for it. You don't run on it. And so, whenever you're anxious, your whole body is falling apart, literally, because you don't know what to do with this. Your body never learns what to do with it. It can't which leaves you open for disease. Your immune system has gone crazy. You're open for disease, destruction, and death, literally. People die of anxiety. Okay. Enough said. Over against anxiety, he cares for you. Or David said, cast your burden on the Lord. He will sustain you. The, the Greek now, see, in the Greek it's very much the same. The, the word is mellow. And, and that word, it means to care. It's got the same idea. Anxiety is care gone crazy. It's care without a point. It's care without a focus. The word mellow in Greek means care, but it means to have loving interest in. It means to care for someone or for oneself without fear or without anxiety. So it was used of the Good Samaritan, that story in Luke's Gospel, when the Good Samaritan got down in the ditch and cared for the Jew that was beaten up. Um, and I'm not going there, take too long. But he was really taking his own life in his hands to do that. But he does it without care, without fear. He takes the time to bring the man onto the donkey. Um, the other word for care would be that he stood there paralyzed. What shall I do? What shall I do? This care says, I know what's got to be done. I'm not going to do it. Uh, it, it's, it, it means um, to act with reason. And if it's another person you're talking about, it's empathy to elevate that person and their problem. Refocus the whole thing on God's care. Um, so this word care, it means a kind interest in all our needs and anxieties. Um, he concerns himself, God concerns himself with everything that is of interest to you, even if right now that interest is driving you crazy. Um, I, t I tell you, this can be translated as fussing. Um, it's very much like a grandmother with her grandchildren. Um, complete interest in everything they do and hovering over them and watching probably caring more than the parents do. Um, there's a very positive, if you can be positive, it could mean meddling. It means he's not going to leave you alone. You see, he's caring. Are you okay? It's, I see that you're obsessed with this right now. Is everything going okay? 
is that beautiful meddling. It's that love fussing. He's got his hands on every part of your life, whether you know it or not. It's everything that is of interest to you, whether it be a matter of your spiritual life, your mental pursuit, your emotional delights or sadnesses, body, what's happening to you in your body. He's fascinated with us. Do you realize and, uh, there is a sense in which he has put his omniscience on hold deliberately so he can listen to us? Because you see, if you think about this, if God knows everything, then why does he need me to cast my care upon him? Why do I need to talk to him at all? Because he knows it all. Well, that would destroy relationship. I can't have relationship with you if I greet you with saying I know everything about you. Don't, you know, don't waste time talking. Um, again, it's it's the the adult that chooses to put their adult mind on hold so they can get on the floor and talk to the child and mean it. They want to know what happened today, to hear it through their childish lips. And their adult brain might say, well, I know everything. And we deliberately put that aside. I know I know everything, but I want to hear it through the lips of this child. I want to establish a relationship at their level. Now, that's what this is saying. I want to take interest in everything you've done today, which I, I think that's what it means in the Garden of Eden where they have sinned. But when the presence of God comes in, in this mode of deliberately wanting to hear the day from Adam's perspective, he says, Adam, where are you? What have you done? Yeah. And so it, it, it describes taking pleasure in, in another. What, what affects us, and think about it, what affects us affects God. He, he has delight toward, he is biased toward us. And included in that you've got the bigger words of watching over and guarding. And so... That specific love, the tender care that is given by to one of great value. Um, it means you are counted to have worth beyond anything you know and importance. It, it's the same thing, a sheep goes astray. Jesus portrays the shepherd who's ready to risk his life to save the stupid sheep. Um, and if you take the value of the sheep, compare it to the value of the shepherd, this is ridiculous. That shepherd is going to put himself exactly where the sheep is in its dangers just to rescue it. And it will probably get lost tomorrow again. Um, well, that's this. This is a care that to the observer doesn't always make sense. You're going that far. Um Isaiah 46, first verse says, Even to your old age, I will be the same. Even to your graying years, I will carry you. I have done it. I will bear you. I will carry you. I will save you. That's quite a statement, especially when your hair is beginning to turn gray. He, care. he says, he cares for you. David said, cast your burden. This is obviously universal, or we couldn't sit here and talk about it. But on the other hand, it's not universal. He says, cast your burden. He cares for you. Cast your burden. He will sustain you. Very, very personal as an individual. And we've done it before, the scriptures that tell us plainly, he knows us by name. That's mind-blowing. He, he knows everything we do in the house, everything we do at work. He knows our feelings about it. 
So it doesn't say I'm going to handle this situation. It says I'm going to handle you. That's very different. So, you know, what is it? Psalm 8. He says, what is man that you are mindful of him? And he's just got through, and he, the word he uses for man there means this weak, helpless kind of, what are you doing here? Um, there, there's more than one word for man in the Hebrew language. And he, he is saying, man, the the weak man, the, yeah, that would be enough, the weak man. Um, kind of mortal. You're, you're subject to everything come crashing down on you and you don't stand a chance. You're, you're just a weak human being. And David says, what, 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 what is it? Why are you mindful of us? Or why do you fill your mind with us? Some other translations have says, why do you bother with us? We, others say, why, why do you care about us using this same word? Well, that's the miracle of the gospel. That he does. When we say God loves us, it's not a general niceness. It, it is specific that he loves us in every detail of life. And anticipates our need. Have you noticed? Um, we we didn't know what was going to happen, but three days ago, someone put the letter in the mail that solved this problem. He he got got this going before you even knew about it. Now David uses the term sustain. Cast your burden on the Lord; He will sustain you. And that's an interesting word. Uh, in the original root meaning of the word in Hebrew, it means a measuring cup. That is, um, <clears throat> when you need a certain amount of water, or flour, or whatever it is, you put it in a measuring cup and put it into the recipe. And, and therefore it's not too much and it's not too little it's exactly what you need for the moment and so he measures out that which will be strength to you he sustains you um and it, it my grace is sufficient for you he's saying the same thing you could push it into the 21st century that have you ever flown at 40,000 feet um and known the temperature outside that plane, and also known the as the atmosphere gets thinner and thinner, the pressure on that fuselage. Maybe it's best you don't know about it uh, to to realize that this is a total. You were down there on the ground at the airport, and um, while well, the fuselage looked perfectly the same as anything else, cars. It wasn't, you see. That fuselage has been tested and tested and tested until we know it will sustain the pressure that's going to hit it at 40,000 feet. He says, I'll sustain you. I can handle the pressure. If we get through this together. That's what he's saying. And of course, in the new covenant, this is multiplied to infinity. Because he's not sustaining me from the outside. He's not bearing my burdens, nor is he dealing with my cares from the outside. But in the new covenant, through the Holy Spirit, God is within me, and from within me is sustaining me. He is my inside strength, so that I have the strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, because he is within my eye and he has given himself thus to me. And um, and so in, in 1 Corinthians 13, you know, the expression of love, well, that is the Holy Spirit's love to us. And so within me is divine patience and kindness and gentleness and it's there. And he is untying 
and <clears throat> untangling the knots of fear. There are things in my life I could never untie. That was my nightmare as a little kid, untying knots. Um, sit there and you've kicked your shoes off, now you've got to untie the knot. And um, that was my nightmare. And, and so I maybe I, I look at life and I see there's plenty of knots that have been tied and, and I can't untangle them. And they become my burdens and they become the cares that overshadow. They're the canvas of care that everything's painted on. Well, he untangles the whole jolly lot and exposes the lies that we believed that causes the burdens of today. He even, and I'm not going, but he even gets to the lies that have been embedded in our organs. Now, I don't know how much you know about, but the, the negative emotions that happened to you 40 years ago they were not nothings. Do, do you realize your emotions and your thoughts occupy real estate? They're not just something that go through you. Where are you going to put them? And you put them in organs, specifically your liver, incidentally, but, but other places. They, and, and then you get disease later on because these wretched things are exploding. The Holy Spirit can get inside my organs and untie the knots. Yeah. And at the heart of that healing is knowing I, I'm the beloved. I'm cared for. He's down on the rug with me saying, how's your day? Um, he's bestowed his love. With the apple of his eye, do you remember that? The little man in your eye. You're inside the eye of God. He knows you. Never takes his eye off us. We're indwelt by the triune God. He cares for you. He sustains you. Okay, what are we wired for? Do you realize we are wired for Christ in us? That's there in the original blueprint. And the doctor, bless his heart, he says, well, you know, got any problems with bitterness or anger? I mean, probably today they wouldn't, but, you know, do you remember the day when the doctor was a doctor and, and really wanted to know what was going on in your life? And he was always looking for the negative emotions because he knows that that produces sickness. Isn't that interesting? He says, I hope you haven't been generous to too many people. I hope you haven't loved too many people that can be dangerous for your health. No. They never ask you if you've been loving too much or kind or patient. Why? They don't know why. But the truth is, you are actually created. You're wired for kindness. You're wired for love. And if you don't love, then you're not wired for the opposite. It's going to destroy you. And part of it is all these knots all over our life that the Holy Spirit comes and heals his love there's so another thing here that David said and I'll just touch on it I need more but um, this word burden cast your burden on the Lord the word actually in the Hebrew is your gift yeah wow see you see why I need another hour for that one um, the best I can put right now, and I think it's got to be, got to be said, that it's it's almost like saying um, that which life has given to you. He, he, what what is behind it is, it's here, whatever we're talking about, the situation, the Ahithophel, the, it's here. Well, don't start fighting it. It's what is. You unwrapped the gift paper. <laughs> Here it is. This is it. So, and, and what, what, what's the meaning of this in my life? Why does it happen? 
it happens so you can do the one thing you were created to do, which is give your burden to the Lord. And that's that which makes sense of all life. That, yeah, life, you could say, if it's not the correct, but life was dealt with to me. Um, well, okay, it's, it, you've got it on your plate. You were never meant to sit there and say, why, why, why? And it becomes a burden, and what shall I do with it? I mean, no, you're not. You've got one thing to do. You were created to take the burden and give it to the Lord. And he says, cast the gift upon the Lord. Um, Intentionally, with, with words, you put it into his hands. That's what we were made for. Then we function. It works. We make this our way of being. You don't wait for the burden to come. You don't wait for the cares of life to overwhelm you. You live in this realization of the greatness and the wonder of God. And and in this light of he cares for me, then I am going to cast my cares upon him, cast my anxieties on him. How do you do it? I've seen this on so many refrigerators. Cast your care on the Lord. Ask the lady of the kitchen, how do you do that? I don't know. But <laughs> sounds a jolly good text. But it begins with, we saw this the other week, it begins with stop. Because if I'm going to cast my cares upon him, I've got to stop doing everything I was doing. And so it is a stopping of what I was doing. Stop that loop that's revolving around. And we can stop it because he cares for us. So remember what I said. You cannot be looking at two things, two opposite things at the same time. You cannot be looking forward while you're looking backwards. And therefore, I replace my focus. I stop the revolving loop by intentionally focusing on his love and care because perfect love casts out all fear. And of course, that's humility. That's stopping to acknowledge that I'm not God. And that he is love. And that we were never meant to hold this. But then is the act of casting. And it's, it's a very strong word. It, it means, really in English too, but it certainly meant in the language of the Bible to throw with force. So another word would be hurl. Or it would mean to toss something. I tell you, it was used, the same word was used when Joseph's brothers kidnapped him and threw him into the pit. That's the word there is this same word. They threw him into the pit. There was nothing nice about it. They were not being nice. Um, it's also in the New Testament, the word that Peter uses is the same word that was used when on Palm Sunday they they took their cloaks and they threw them on the donkey. Do you remember? Okay. Palm Sunday, I'll tell you about it. But they 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 threw their clothes on the donkey. Well, if you've ever been around horses, you, you just throw it. And um, that's the word. So it's an emotionally charged word. You wouldn't use this word for your circumstances unless you come to the point where you're saying, I'm done, I've had it. There's a holy anger here. You're going to throw it on the Lord. Um, This is not some religious, meaningless, oh Lord, we give you our cares. Haven't you heard that? <laughs> I mean, God bless them. They're, they're God's people, not mine. I, but that, that, that's, that's not this word. That's not this word. That, that, that's got nothing in it. There's hardly the breath to say it. 
Now, there's, now this is rather a foot-stamping word. I've had it. That, that, that expresses this word. Um, so it's not a nice word. It's filled with feelings. I will not have this in my life anymore. I'm done. That's, that's the word cast. It's, um, what, you, you've got a ball in your hand and you throw it? Well, in, in the throwing of it, you've put all your energy, you probably put some emotion into it, and you release it away from your hand. And as you release it away from your hand, you don't have any control over it anymore. The last control you had was as you felt it slipping from your fingers. That's this word. I cast it. And in casting it, I, with the energy of all that I am behind it, I send it, and now I, I even if I thought I was controlling it, I sure don't now. Only this is by my choice. I, I've sent it. And um, your imagination is used in this. Uh, imagination, of course, again, is another big subject. But you, you can't function in your spiritual life without imagination. Uh, and that's why for most religious people, their Christian life doesn't function because they're terrified of imagination. They've sold their imagination to their flesh and locked the door. And so if you, beloved Christian, use imagination, that's visualization, that's new age. Then you go straight out the door and use your imagination to the max to anxiety yourself. All anxiety is 300% imagination. But you're allowed to do that. That's not new age. That's just being us, you see. No. What I'm saying is you now replace your flesh and maybe even satanic controlled imagination with divine Holy Spirit imagination. And now see, yes, I feel it. Allow yourself to feel it. Allow yourself even in, in your five senses to feel it. That you, this, I'm giving this, I'm sending it. I cast my burden and name the burden, name the person, name the situation. This is what is now crushing me when I cast it. That, that's the meaning of this word. And of course, you can do this because Jesus has already allowed it. On the cross, all of our grief and sorrow as well as our sin right sin was put upon him but he says he bore our grief he carried our sorrow he already took it so when i cast it i'm not initiating something i'm saying you got it i'm i'm, I'm now i'm saying the amen that's the way it is it, it's it's there can I say this though? It's very important. The feelings will return. So important to know this. And actually, I went through my own Ahithophel back in the 1970s. And you talk about something happening to you that not only fashions the rest of your life but enables you to change a thousand other lives. Because that one thing that happened to me, though at the time I really did believe it was the end. But I've been able to share what happened with literally millions of people around the world and to watch them come into a new life. And so that period of living hell was worth it, you know. But anyway, what it was it? Yeah, I've told you the story, I'm sure, some of you. Um, I had a friend. Just, I mean, an awful kind of situation. Um, to the point where if I was invited to speak, I would say, do you want a second speaker? You know, let's do it together. And um, 
Our names were usually presented together. I didn't know that he was growing in envy and whatever. Who can explain those things? But I mean, what happened with David that we read there at the beginning is exactly. And we were in this meeting. He was to introduce me and I was to preach. There must have been 10,000 people there back in those days. Instead, he gets up and begins to shred me and say, don't listen to this man. And, well, what do you do with 10,000 people sitting there looking at you? And I, I didn't know what to do. I, it was a coldness, that freezing. I, where do I go from here? I can't stand up and knock him down like I felt like. You know, with 10,000 people. And, and of course, as soon as that meeting was over, 10,000 phones would ring all the way to California. This was in the charismatic days when... Anyway, and like a robot, I just got up, walked off the platform and left the building. I didn't know what else to do. And... Um, I don't know, five minutes down the road and I melted and rage. And I mean it honestly, it was murder rage. It was this psalm. If you read the whole psalm, it, it, it was, I'm ready to damn this man in hell myself. And, uh, and the pain that it was my friend, it was, you know, as David said, it was not an enemy. Otherwise I could deal with it, but. And, and I, I was, it was, it was a, a meltdown of rage. And somewhere down deep in that rage, the Holy Spirit said, that man can never destroy you, but you're about to destroy yourself. And I stopped, okay, stopped, be still. <laughs> And I turned around, this is as real to me as the night it happened, and I saw the silhouette of the church down there where he was still doing whatever he was doing. And there, I mean, I was enraged, so this is no spiritual moment. But in, in the, the light of what I've said, I cast, I, I said, Father, I am giving, and I named him, I'm giving him and all that he has said about me to you and I'm done. It's to you. And immediately a great peace settled on me. And I turned around and began walking away for 15 minutes when I erupted again. Just that little half a sentence. Did you hear what he said? Yeah, and off we go again. Now this is this is where it happened, because the first thought was I didn't do it right. I got to do this again. Huh. But that's when the Holy Spirit taught me the greatest lesson of dealing with all this stuff. I turned around, and this time I shouted it. I said, 15 minutes ago, that man was put in God the Father's hands and I'm done with it. I don't have to deal with it again. And the peace came. Walking down the road for another 15 minutes. <laughs> but I never once suggested I did it wrong. All that, Now it's half an hour ago. And it was two hours ago. And I named the time. I named the place. And I said, we did it. Don't come to me. Go to the Father. He's not with me. I've cussed. And that went on until gradually, you know, it was five months ago. Um, and I had no more feelings. It, it was just kind of dead, I guess you could say, his feelings. But when he called me 
and said, what I tried to do to you, someone has done to me. And he said, I'm now living under a bridge. Lost my home, lost my family, lost everything. And at that point, waves of compassion. And, well, then it's another story. But I want you to hear that. Cast your burden on the Lord, but your feelings will go back to the old loop. And you stop it by... I cast when that ball left my hands I've got no more control don't come and talk to me about the ball it's over there yeah. so it's a it's a trans transfer an exchange it's no longer in my hands it's in his it's it's gone and um because it it's, it's done um well then I it's logic. I don't have to go back and now explain it. It's it's gone, and um, I hope you heard me say that I did that right in the middle of my rage when I felt like murder. I mean that. Um, that's when I did it. There is no good day to do it. You can't say, well, you know, tomorrow I'm going to feel better and we'll get this settled. No. Right in the middle of the burden, when your anxiety is at its worst and when you're sweating bullets, that's the time. And scream and shout, that's the meaning of the word. It, it's when you've had enough of this lie of Eden and you do it. The transfer. It's the great instead. Remember, I don't have time, but Isaiah 61, you get the oil of joy instead of the morning. You know, it goes down the hole instead. There's an exchange. That's what it is. Um, and you give it to him. Let me quickly say this. You give give the whole thing to him. You don't give it to him with an agenda. That is, you don't say, now I'm letting you have this as long as you do this and this and this. You know. Uh, you're allowed to have hell for this one person. You know? <laughs> no, you give the thing. Well, it's, I have to say it again. You release the ball. You can't even really say where it's going, actually. It's... You aimed it, but it's you, you, you've let it go. What will he do with it? I have no idea. I, I'm in free fall here now because I'm no longer in control. So he's doing now whatever the wisdom of divine love is doing. But it's at this point none of my business, which means the poison has been taken out of the circumstance. But the circumstance is still there, see. It isn't that in some magical way he's going to take the circumstance. No, he took the poison out and it's in his hands. But it's still there. Which means that you are now going to have the wisdom to deal with it. It's no longer that you are in control and not in control. Rather, he's got this and he will give me the strength he will do something to me. See, he doesn't change the situation, changes me. So I can be in the middle of this and handle it. Um, it grows up in the Old Testament. You remember um, the Lord said to Moses at the burning bush, I have heard the cries of the people in Egypt and I will come down to deliver them. Now you go... Oh come on! You you said you would you would deliver them. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to deliver them, but you go. And, and it's the same thing. Second Chronicles. Remember when the all their worst enemies got together and they're coming, and Jehoshaphat sends out the army, and all they have as weapons is singing psalms. And um, but that was it. Then the Lord dealt with the people, but they had to go and face it. Um, it's Gideon. Gideon says, I can't possibly do it. And the Lord says, I am with me. I am with you. Now you go. 
and that that's always the case and so out of that comes those psalms where david says the i am is my doesn't say the i am changes the situation he says i am is my everything i need in this moment so i hardly notice the situation i've got it christ is my life so my life right now is Christ, and therefore I live it, I really do. Especially Philippians 4, where he lists all of that. He says, you know, when things are great, when things are bad, when I'm tossed around here and there. And then he says, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, the Amplified has the perfect translation there. He says, I can do all things through him who has, and, and he puts it that the strength of God has now been uh, welded together with my strength. So it's my strength, but it's his strength. It's his strength, but it's within me. And he says, I can now have uh, whatever comes down the pike. Is it good day, bad day? Is neither here nor there. I can do all things through Christ who handles me. And so David ends it by saying, the righteous shall never be shaken. It's another Old Testament expression for anxiety, shaking. <laughs> it's it's a pretty good one. So the, the righteous, that is those who have cast their burden on the Lord, shall never be shaken. No, no anxiety. And then in the New Testament, he says, humble yourself and he will exalt you. And, and I'll leave on this. And I don't know if I can convey the image, but all these lies, if I could personify them, that constitute your burden and your anxieties and the what-ifs and the if-onlys and the... Suddenly, and they all had you. You, you were like a man pursued by a hive of bees, and, and um, they got you. And suddenly, you are exalted. That is you've become another person. You can handle this. You have become more terrible than an army with banners. And, and, and all your lies and all the anxieties flee like frightened, um, you know, because you have turned into another person. And the situation is still there, but it's different because you are different. And um, oh, there it is. There it is. Yes, Father, thank you for the reality of this in our day to day to day to day that we have been created to give our burdens to you, created to cast our cares upon you. It's the only thing that makes sense out of them. So now teach us, Holy Spirit, let not these words just fall on dead ears. Teach us. Let us be the people that are never shaken, that we forever turn and rest in you. We ask it, we receive it, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen. <laughs>